morning, everybody. How are you? Good. Like four of you have said hello, so welcome back. Very responsive 9 o'clock crowd this morning, I can already tell. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I, uh, I have spent some time in Central America. We were in Costa Rica and in Guatemala this week. And uh, just want to give you a report. Uh, Daniel, Pastor Daniel gave you some of that report of the water well is saving lives. I mean, clean water is the number one need for people in Central America. You may not believe that because you think there's a lot of rain, a lot of water down there, but most of the water is contaminated. So the fact that we have a well on site, they're actually providing enough water for all the kids and selling the water at a very low cost to the rest of the community and funding the ministry there. So that's because of your generosity. I just want to say thank you for that. And I, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but back last year, about a year ago, we packed enough food to feed 300 people for a year. And that food is, I actually went and saw the kids that were eating that food and they, they, they told me, thank you, gracias, gracias, gracias for the food. I mean, because they were really struggling with food shortage, but the fact that you invested and sent that food, they're doing well, the kids are thriving, the staff is thriving down there. So I just wanna say thank you again. I came back thankful for New Life Church because of your generosity and the way you support people outside these four walls, all right? All right, turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter three. And if you've been here for the last few weeks, you notice we're calling this the revolutionary gospel. And the first thing, the reason we call it that is because there are two big ideas that make the book of Galatians very revolutionary. Number one, we've talked about the last few weeks that Paul was insistent that the gospel is by grace alone. Salvation is by grace alone, not by works. It says that in Ephesians, but he was contending in the book of Galatians not to add something to the gospel. Jesus is enough. Grace is enough. Don't add your own uh, things to the gospel to, to make it different. So Paul, that's the first thing that was revolutionary about the book of Galatians. We were about to tackle something else that was very revolutionary in Galatians chapter three. In fact, the entire societal order of the world, I know this is gonna, this is gonna sound a bit like hyperbole, okay, but bear with me. The entire societal order of the world was shifted and changed because of what Paul says in Galatians chapter three. So I wanna to talk to you today about unity. I wanna to talk to you today about what does the Bible say about different groups of people getting along. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're not the first generation in the history of the world to deal with fussing. That's a Southern word for fighting, fussing and fighting. My parents used to say, no fussing, no fighting in this house. And there was always fussing and fighting in the house. That's why they had to keep saying that over and over again. There's no fussing and no fighting. But we, this is not the first time in the history of mankind that different groups of people have not been able to get along. And so this is that there's a spirit at work and it's not the Holy Spirit. The, the spirit of our enemy, the, uh, the evil one, has always wanted to separate people. His sole purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. And the way our enemy kills and steals and destroys is by separating people. And I want you to think about this just for a moment, put this in context. What would have happened to 300 kids in Guatemala if a group of gringos in Colorado Springs had decided that they were not worth saving? 
Maybe politically you didn't agree with what was going on in Guatemala, so you separated yourself. We are better, we are different, they are not equal or something. This is what, this is, see what happens is when one group of people with a lot of resources, and we're that group, decides that another group of people that doesn't have resources don't deserve it, that's how the enemy separates people. But instead, we fought through that and we went down there and we looked them in the eye and heard their story. And because we visited their homes, because we heard their stories, because we heard their pleas for help, God knit my heart with their heart, knit their heart with your heart. Suddenly, the church with a lot of resources was able to feed them for an entire year and the enemy hates it because the enemy wants to separate us. The enemy wants to divide us. In fact, when we arrived there on uh, this, you'll, I'm going to show you this video, probably next Sunday I'll show you this video. But when we arrived there on Thursday, they would, the piece of land that we had bought them, it, uh, they had put on the, uh, they had written out this scripture from Psalm 20 on, all across the ground. It says, you heard the cries of the afflicted. That's what they had written out in English so that when we arrived there, that's the first scripture, Psalm 20, you have heard the cries of the afflicted. See, this is what happens. This is the powerful thing when God uh, brings two different groups of people. And listen, there is uh, peop the people in Guatemala have different cultures. They have different languages. They look different than us. They, there are some things that they do that we don't do. But instead of letting that divide us, God instead by his spirit knit our hearts with one another. And this is the story of Galatians 3. I wanna say this to you, in fact, I wrote it down because I wanted it to be put on the screen. I really want you to catch this. This is the, really the whole center of my message today. And I'm speaking really on, from, this is my own opinion, but I wanna share it with you. But I believe that most people cannot remember a more divided America than the one we live in today. Would you say amen to that? Now, some of you that might be older may remember the 1960s. You may remember other times, but I, I was born in the late 60s. I was born in 1967, right in the middle of, uh, yeah, the fellow 1967 birth there. It was a good year for being born. But in 1967, I was born right in the middle of the civil rights movement. In fact, my first grade class in Logansport, Louisiana was the second class to be integrated. My class was the second group of first graders that went to school with black kids. White kids and black kids were going to school for the very first time in the city that I grew up when I, when I was a kid. So in 1972, 1973. But more, most people can't remember a more divided America than the one we live in today. And the vitriol has escalated to dangerous levels, in my opinion. In fact, I saw a poll this week that 79% of Americans are angry. Just mad. And they really can't tell you what they're mad at. They're just mad at everything. In fact, the polls started trying to dig down, like, what are you mad at? Everything. I'm angry at everything. Everything. And we, so we're living on edge, it seems like. There's an outburst of anger vitriol uh, it has escalated to dangerous levels. And our culture is on the verge of a meltdown, in my opinion. I think we're on the verge right now of having a cultural meltdown and dividing ourselves into tribes. And that's dangerous for us. It's very dangerous. 
And so these perilous times right now, in my opinion, require us to give careful thought to what's happening first in my own heart. I am not responsible for your heart, but I am responsible for mine. And I may not be able to change your opinion or change your viewpoint, but I can certainly change my own. And I feel like we need to have personal responsibility for what's happening in the interior of our soul. Somebody say amen. How many of you are willing? Let me just ask you this question. How many of you are willing to hold the mirror of the scriptures up in front of yourselves? How many, now I'm not talking about public opinion. I'm not talking about your favorite political pundit. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit inspired, written and breathed scriptures. Are you willing to hold them up in front of your soul and to evaluate yourself? I'm, I'm willing, if you're willing. I'm already doing it. I'm gonna do it whether you do it or not. I'm gonna hold up my soul, what's going on in my thoughts, what's happening in my emotions, the words that spill out of my mouth, the decisions that I'm making, I am willing to humble myself and shine the light of the Holy Scriptures by the power of the Spirit back into my soul and to do a constant evaluation for what's happening in my life. If you're willing to do that, then stay with me for the next 25 minutes because we're gonna do a little surgery today, okay? Is that all right? Anybody okay with a little spiritual surgery today? It's, it's going to be as painful as it sounds, I promise but you'll feel better afterwards. <laughs> so here's the question I'm gonna ask, how did we get here? How did this happen? How did we become so divided? And the better question is, how can we heal? How is it that we can heal? Well, Galatians 3, verse 26 through 29, gives us a bit of a, a roadmap, a blueprint for bringing that healing into the church first. And listen, I just wanna say this to you, and I've, I've said this many, many times, if the church is not healed, then there is no hope for the world. Until the church gets this right, the world will never get this right. So you understand the responsibility we have as followers of Jesus, we have to get this right. Because the world is looking for hope. They're looking for us, who out there can get this right? Well, we can, we have, we've done it before and we can do it again. So let's go to Galatians chapter three, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you're all, all you, you're all children of God. All of you, listen, I got good news for you. This is really some of the best news I could ever share with you. If you have put your hope, your faith, your confidence and your trust in Jesus, I have good news for you. You have now been adopted into one big, messy, glorious family called the children of God who worship in the church of Jesus, who are led by the spirit and guided by the scriptures. You are now being brought into that family, you are children of God. Isn't that good news? That's good news. <clears throat> you can't get there on your own. You have to get there by believing and trusting in Jesus. But once you do, you're children of God. Now, if that's true, look at verse 27. For all of you were baptized into Christ. You've now clothed yourselves with Christ. In other words, you put on the nature of Jesus. You've decided that the words of Jesus will be your words, that the attitudes of Jesus will be your attitude, that the mercies of Jesus will be your mercies. Amen? That the things that made Jesus angry will make you angry. The things that made Jesus merciful will make you merciful. Somebody say amen. Are you following this? This is really good, by the way. This is really good preaching, by the way. I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> Verse 28. 
Now this is, the, this is the radical revolutionary text here, okay? What I'm about to read rocked the world at the time. When Paul said this out loud in written form and then it was read out loud, this revolutionized the Roman, the Greek, and the Jewish cultures of the day. The three predominant cultures that the Bible was written into was the Roman world, the Greek world, and the, the Hebrew Jewish world. All three cultures did not believe what Paul's about to say. They'd had a hard time understanding this, but when Paul said it, it radically changed societal structures. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is, nor is there male and female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. I don't know what label you walked in here with today. I don't know what affiliation you find yourself strongly attached to today, but I can tell you this, if you decide today to follow Jesus, you all belong to one group. You've now been brought into one stew, into one soup. It's messy sometimes, it's complicated sometimes, but you all belong to one body. And if you belong to Christ, this is even better news. If you didn't think the news could get better, let me give you some better news. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Now for the Jewish people to hear that, are you kidding me? Are you, the Jewish people would have argued this to the ground. Are you telling me that all these Gentiles, these, 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 the Gentiles are now been brought into our promise that God gave Abraham? Yep. You now have been brought into Abraham. You are Abraham's seed. And because you're Abraham's seed, you're heirs according to the promise. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you holy permission today to look deeply into our soul. Lord, would you change us and correct us and encourage us and strengthen us today? Lord, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us a holy imagination? Would you help us to believe what is true and to push aside that which is not? And we ask this now in Jesus' name. If you want all that, say amen with me, amen. Here's what Paul was saying, he said, Jesus is the great equalizer. This is what, this is the radical thing. Jesus now, uh, all societal power structures, what Paul was saying is all societal power structures are leveled in the church. I don't know how you walked in here today. Some of you walked in wealthy, some of you walked in poor, some of you walked in healthy, some of you walked in sick, some of you are men, some of you are women, some of you are old, some of you are young, some of you are white, brown, and black. But as we walked into this building today, as we gather together in this congregation today, we suddenly, everything has been leveled. And everything is, now we're all one before Jesus. We all are the same before Christ all societal power structures. And there are societal power structures. There are some people that are in power. There are some people that feel that they've been left out of powerful structures. They've been uh, disoriented. They've been alienated. They've been pushed to, the, to the, 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 the corners. They've been left alone. They've been hurt and abused. And there are others with power. And, and that has always been true of the human race. But what happened when Jesus came into the church, he said, I'm gonna welcome you into one big family where everything is even, where everyone has the same opportunity. Everyone has the same faith. Everyone can go to the same heaven. D 
Do y'all know we're all going to the same, we're all, we're all going to populate the new heaven and the new earth and it won't be segregated. Do you know that the new heaven and the new earth won't have segregated neighborhoods? We're all gonna be together, one big melting pot. So here's what he was saying, he says to the Jew and the Gentile, he said, there, I am confronting religious and racial differences. When he says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, he was talking about religious and racial differences that had separated people. He says, you're neither slave nor free. He says, there are economic power structures that, that have kept people apart. Slaves had no power. Free people had all the power. But when, you know that this is the first time in world history that we know about that slaves and free people sat on the same row. They sat next to each other, worshiping this person of Jesus. And that was radical to the Roman people, especially to the Greeks. When they looked inside those little buildings, those little gatherings, and there was a guy that was a slave, an indentured servant, sitting next to a wealthy business owner and their hands were lifted uh, to the same Jesus. And when it came time to receive the table of the Lord, guess what happened? The slave and the rich guy received from the same piece of bread. Radical. That was radical. See, I grew up in the South where there were black restrooms and white restrooms. I remember those. There were black restaurants and white restaurants. And for black people and white people to finally go to the same schools together, it was radical. And then he said, nee, there's neither male nor female. Now all the men had a hard time with this. And we're still having a hard time with this. But according to Jesus, I'm just recording, this is just the Bible but that men primarily have been in power for all of human history. But he's saying now in this church, women are not just your property anymore. Women are your sisters and you should treat them not like property, not just like childbearing property, but now women are, were treated as sisters. In other words, he said, according to this, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, male and female, listen to this, we're all, brothers and sisters. That is a radical idea. And it's already making some of you feel uncomfortable. I, I love it. I'm feeling uncomfortable watching you be so uncomfortable. <laughs> but we're all brothers and sisters. It broke down all these dividing lines. The walls of hostility that had been built up because of sin were now torn down by the resurrection of Jesus. This is what was so radical about Christianity. How many of you would like to get back to radically following Jesus? It was, so what I, 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 am, I do not want a comfortable little church where we talk about comfortable little topics every Sunday. If we're going to follow the radical teachings of Jesus, then we have to confront the radical brokenness in our lives, right? Now here's what Paul was saying, and this is, this is what really caused a revolution and this is actually what caused Christianity to flourish. Once women and slaves and Gentiles especially, so women, slaves, and Gentiles, once they realized that Jesus had leveled the playing field and they could be empowered to live as fully free men and women in the environment of Christianity, it's what caused Christianity to explode across the known world at the time. It went from 130 or 40 people in an upper room, 120 people in the upper room, to, to millions of people, and it exploded and multiplied because women and slaves and Gentiles suddenly realized that the level playing field, they could, they could flourish in this environment. 
And here's what Paul was saying. The rich aren't preferred and the poor aren't ignored. Now in every power structure that we know of in human culture, this has been the opposite, right? Rich people are preferred, poor people are ignored. But Christianity turned all of that upside down. Christianity said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I know what you want. You want a place where the rich are preferred. And it's not a sin to be rich, but oftentimes rich people get things that poor people don't get. And, and uh, he says in the, in the church though, in this environment, the rich aren't preferred and the poor are not ignored. That is radical. Slaves and women sitting next to rich people and men, that, that never happened except when Jesus came and established his church. In fact, the church is the one place on the planet even today where we can be both equal and unique. This is powerful, right, right here in this building. If I were to bring up some political idea today, I guarantee you there'd be 40 different opinions and 400 emails. I, I've, I've tried it before and that's about what I get. So I know that, but what I love is we just sang four songs together and you, I heard you singing. This is the first time this week that you've been in a room with a diverse group of people singing in unity about this person of Jesus. And that's why you gotta be at church. That's why church should not be uh, optional for you. I need church. I need church to recenter me, to reorient me, to bring me back into unity with a group of people that I might not agree with some of you. I might have strong disagreements with some of you, but church is the place where my heart gets reoriented, where I learn to love people different than me, where I choose to be around people that are different, that may behave different or think different or understand the world in a different way. But church is the one place where we can be both equal and unique. And, and Paul is contending for unity. Now listen very carefully. Please write down this next phrase that I'm about to give you, okay? Because it's super important. In fact, we're gonna talk about this for the next several weeks. It's gonna come up in the next several Sundays that I speak to you. Unity is proof that the Holy Spirit is working in a group of people. Where you find unity, you will find the Holy Spirit. Where you find the Holy Spirit, you will find unity. Are you catching this today? If you want unity, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit, it's too hard. And the world's out there right now getting everybody to hold hands and let's, let's sing Kumbaya together. You Listen, the world is trying and failing because they're trying to have unity outside the boundaries of the Holy Spirit. And the church is the place where the Holy Spirit is flourishing and moving. And that's why the church can show the world how to really walk out in unity. All right, so listen to this. I, I, I'm finding this in the last year and a half. We're either looking for a fight or we're looking for the Holy Spirit, but you can't have both. Now, which one do you want? Cause I like a good fight every once in a while. I'm, I'm from the deep South. I have red hair. I, I, have, I, I don't mind a good little tussle every once in a while. I don't mind arguing with you. I'm smart. I'm good with my words. I can out-debate most of you. I'm just telling you, I'm not looking for that though. I'm not out looking for a fuss. And one of the greatest blessings of my life is getting off Facebook, by the way. I have not been on Facebook in months and it has been the best thing ever. 
But what I was finding there was I kept finding this temptation to fight. I'm not looking for a fight. I'm looking for a group of people that love Jesus that want to walk alongside me and change the world for him, his glory, for his goodness. That's who I'm looking for. And by the way, fights are easy. It takes no courage to pick a fight right now. People say, Pastor Brady, you need to have some courage and, and confront these things. Listen, that, does, that takes no courage, by the way. I am not your guard dog. You can't, I'm not your dog on a leash. You can't turn me loose on a fight. That's not who I am. So how do we contend for this unity? How do we wrestle for it, okay? I'm gonna give you some things today that's gonna to help you. How do we contend for this unity? Let me just say one thing, there's a misunderstanding about unity. I personally believe unity can happen among people who disagree. And some, in fact, some of my closest friends are on a staff, uh, I work with every day. Some of my closest friends that are uh, out, not on the church staff, but are my friends, we disagree. We have strong disagreements. However, we've learned to get past those and agree on the right things. In other words, unity means that I value the relationship. Unity means we value the relationship more than winning an argument. All right, let me ask you a question. How many of you in the last year and a half lost a friend because you disagreed about something? Come on, raise your hand. It's okay to raise your hand. I did, I lost some friends in the last year and a half. I lost some 20, 25 year friends because they just could not believe that I, I disagreed with them. And, and what I realized is they did not, they value their convictions about this more than they love the relationship that they've had with me. And this has been a very painful year and a half for Pam and I both because people that we thought we would live the rest of our lives with are no longer in our lives and they disagreed with us over politics or something, some silly thing. I thought, my goodness, we both love Jesus. We're, we're both pro-life, we love Jesus. We're trying to save people. We're, trying, we're on the same mission together, but somehow these auxiliary issues became central to their faith and I disagreed with them and they were willing to walk away from a 20 to 25 year relationship over a disagreement that's not essential to our faith. And it breaks my heart. I know some of you have walked through the same thing. You lost friends over this. And, but, what I, but what I also found, that's the bad news, what I also found was there was a group of people in my life who valued the relationship and were willing to disagree with me and me disagree with them and we could still love one another. And in other words, when you're right, we should be gracious. Right? Gracious to the people who may disagree with you. So how do you contend for this unity? When you are right, be gracious. Because gloating is not a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. I just want to remind you, we're going to get into the fruits of the Spirit later in Galatians 5. We're going to teach through the, the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. I'm going to spend a couple of Sundays on that, actually. And I, I read back through it this week, and I could not find gloating as one of the fruits of the Spirit. I did find love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, long-suffering, all those things. I just could not find gloating. So when you're right, be gracious. Don't say, I told you so. Now, here's the bigger one, okay? When you're wrong, ask for forgiveness. It's okay to say you're wrong. I've had to say I'm wrong several times in the last year and a half. I know that's shocking to many of you, but I, I have been dead wrong on several things this year. Really wrong. In fact, I have found myself apologizing more in the last year and a half 
than maybe any other time in my life because I realized I didn't see it correctly. I didn't see it right. And I, I, I may have misread it and I've had to be quick to apologize. And I also realized that the relationships I were in were in such a tenuous state. The relationships were in a fragile state. And the only way to save, listen very carefully, because some of you are in fragile relationships that you value right now. If you're in a fragile relationship that you value, the only way to salvage a fragile relationship that is valuable to you is to be quick to forgive. Say, I'm sorry. Growing up, uh, my, my brother is only a year and a half younger than I am. And so you can imagine that we, we were very close in age. So we were very close, but we also were very competitive. He was an athlete, I'm an athlete. Uh, the first person I ever punched in the face was my younger brother. The, the first bloody nose I ever gave was to him. Now I could punch him, but nobody else could. And if somebody else bothered my brother, it was, they had to fight both of us, right, growing up. But I could punch him, just no one else could punch him. He was my personal punching bag. No one else could, could be his punching bag. So my dad would watch this competition come out in us. And my dad, one of the things I loved about my dad is he fought for the unity of our house. And fathers, you have moms and dads both. Pam and I are about this. We are, we're, we are not a family that lets things go unsaid very long. We confront, we love, we forgive, we sit down, we talk about it, we don't pout, we don't mope, we don't use the silent treatment as a way to punish each other. We're gonna sit and talk about the issues that surface in our house. And, and so my, I learned this from my dad and I just remember so many times my brother, we'd be on the floor, we'd be wrestling and fighting and my dad would walk in. Boys, and all he had to say was boys. And we would snap to attention, face him, waiting for his wrath. But oftentimes, you know what my dad did? Instead of us facing his wrath, he would make us hug one another. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in like an on the ground tussling match with somebody and then be told to hug it out. And we would, we would have blood and sweat coming off our bodies. And we, he said, now you sit there and I'll let you know when you can not hug. And, I, he, and he would make us join our hands so we couldn't do this, you know, like each other. No, wrap your arms, your hands have to touch behind you. So we, we were hugging, face to face, hugging. And my dad said, I'll let you know when you can stop that. But what it taught me, what it seared into my soul was, regardless of the conflict, you can find unity if you're willing to forgive. If you're not willing to forgive, you're gonna lose a bunch of friends. You're never gonna have close friends, first of all. Your marriage is going to be a mess. Your relationship with your kids will always be stressed. And you'll never have people close enough to you unless you're willing to forgive. This is it, guys. The only way Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free people, men and women could coexist in the church that Paul was describing was there was a tremendous commitment to forgiveness. In other words, I'm gonna give you to, uh, something to say, it's two sentences. It's like, I don't know, five words, uh, eight words here. These eight words can save and salvage every relationship in your life. Well, I'm, the eight words that I'm about to give you can change your marriage if you will start using these eight words today. Pam and I have been married 32 years. And the reason we have 32 years of marriage is because I learned these eight words and I use them constantly, all the time. Are you ready for them? 
you're right, I'm wrong, please forgive me. It takes a tremendous amount of humility to say that. I'm not talking about patronizing people. I'm talking about when you're really right, when you're really wrong. The healthiest people I know are willing to say that and recognize it. I just want to tell you, I, don't want to, I know you have a high opinion of yourself and I'm not here to make you feel worse than you should, but you've been wrong this week. And you've been right. I'm sure you've been right, but you've been dead wrong this week too. And most likely it has impacted the people closest to you more than you think. See, what happens is we start taking for granted the relationships that are closest to us. And one thing I've learned in the last year and a half is to not take any of my relationships for granted and to value them. And when I've learned you're right, I'm so wrong. You're right. I got that wrong. Would you please forgive me? In other words, I didn't say, I'm so sorry that hurt you. That's the worst apology ever. The only way to really apologize is to say, you're right, I'm wrong, I messed that up, I, I own it. I take full responsibility for my behavior, for my words. You are the one who was hurt, I am the one who hurt you. That's what you're saying, that's the only way to truly apologize. And Paul was telling us, he like, listen, if, if you want the church to work right, make sure you learn to say, you're right, I'm wrong, please forgive me. Now I wanna take you to Revelation chapter seven, because what Paul was looking forward to, then later on John would write this in Revelation seven, but when the spirit begins to hover over the people, when Jesus begins to form his church, these words, this prophetic picture begins to bubble out of every church, every healthy church I've ever been a part of were, were churches where uh, black people, brown people and white people, rich people and poor people, men and women, young and old could all be in the room together. In fact, it's not a healthy church unless that's happening. It's not a vibrant church unless that's happening. Unless all those groups of people can be in a room together until we all can look at one another and appreciate everyone's, each other's distinctiveness and appreciate the differences from Guatemala to North Colorado Springs until we can understand that we're not so much different as you think. I was watching the kids play on the playground in Guatemala that we just installed this playground for them. It's a beautiful playground. And I was watching the little kids play. They play the same way your kids play in Colorado. Do you know that? There's no different. They were fussing and tumbling and wrestling and, and, and fighting over the slide and they were doing all the same things your kids do. And I was watching the moms deal with their kids and they were dealing with their kids the same way you deal with your kids. And I was watching the dads and the dads have the same hopes and dreams for their kids that every dad in this room has for your kids. And this is why, because in Revelation seven, verse nine, it said, when John saw a picture of heaven, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture in all of the Bible. Verse nine, he says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. You wanna know what heaven's going to look like? Let me read it to you. The new heaven and the new earth is gonna look like this. He said, there's a great multitude that no one could count. And the reason there's a multitude that no one could count is because grace is more extravagant than we think. I think there's gonna be some people in the new heaven and the new earth that's gonna shock you that they got in. 
And the reason there's a great multitude is because grace is, there's a lot of grace available for all of us. And he says, and from every nation, tribe, people, and language, they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. I love this picture. And I want you to remind this today as you, you're about to go back out into a world that wants to divide you, that wants you to be afraid of people who are different than you. The world is yelling at you, don't trust them, don't love them, don't accept them, they're different than you. And you're about to go back out in that world and it's about to come at you in waves. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid of a Central American immigrant. Be afraid of the people from Central America. They're all gang dealers, they're all drug dealers. Until you go down there and you realize these are beautiful people who love Jesus. They're prayerful, they're hopeful, their hearts are full of the same spirit. I, what I, I'm down there and we had a little prayer meeting and everybody's praying in Spanish. I'm the only ones even praying in English I could, that I could hear. And all I could do is feel the same Holy Spirit that I feel in this room. It's the same spirit, brothers and sisters. It's the same Jesus, brothers and sisters. Here, here's, here's what I, I realize as I'm reading Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. We don't have to give up our racial and cultural distinctions to have unity. We can let Guatemalans be Guatemalans. We can let black people be black people. We can let white people be white people and still not have to give up those distinctions, the cultural distinctions, the cultural things that, that make us unique. Paul was not saying we'd have to give up our uniqueness. He was saying, make sure that you find unity on things that are most important. Look, New Life Church, what I'm asking you today is can we agree that Jesus is the center and everything else is periphery. But Jesus is the what unites us. His resurrection, his spirit that he left with, his scriptures that he gave us, that's what holds us together. And everything else can be up for debate. We can have great debate. We can drink coffee and talk about our differences. But at the end of the day, can we hold hands and thank the Lord that the same Jesus who saves the people in Guatemala is the same Jesus who saves us out of our misery here in Briargate. It's the same Jesus that unites us. In John chapter 13, I'm gonna, I've never told you this. Months before I became your pastor, I've been your pastor now for 14 years, but about a year before that, the Lord was beginning to prepare my heart to come here and I didn't even know I was going to be here. And the Lord took me uh, many, many times to John chapter 13 and he gave me this particular passage of scripture. I'm gonna read it to you out of the message version of the Bible because I just love uh, the translation that, that comes from this. But the Lord said, I'm preparing you to go to a church and the enemy is going to want to divide that church. And he said, I'm gonna sear this message into your heart. So when you hear me stand up here preaching, when, oftentimes when I'm telling you things, it's because the Holy Spirit seared this into my heart. In John chapter 13, he says, let me give you a new command, love one another. It's not any more complicated than that. He said, in the same way that I loved you, you love one another. That's sobering to me. He says, and this is how everyone in the world outside the gates of the church will recognize that you are my disciples. So what is the test? What's the litmus test? What's the proof in the pudding? 
He says, when they see the love you have for each other, that will be the proof that you are indeed my disciples. Can we stand up this morning? Can we just stand together and prepare our hearts to come to a common table? Now, I do miss the days where we all came down and received the bread and the cup, and I am longing for that to return right now. It's just not practical for us to all put our hands in one dish right now, but I promise you it's going to come back. In Jesus' name. Somebody say amen with me, right? But in the meantime, we're going to take a very complicated cup. Would you pick that up with me? And I want to do it. Would you take the cup? It takes a mechanical engineering degree to open it. <laughs> it does for me at least, all right? I'm struggling with the cup, all right? I promise. About half the Sundays, I never get one, either the juice or the bread. It, I, I just ask for the grace of Jesus. Lord, I... You saw the effort I put into that. You know I wanted to receive it. I just could not open it. And the Lord says, I see it, my son. I see it. Now, the reason I'm asking you to hold that cup today is I want you to look at the persons next to you, to your right or to your left. I want you to see they're all holding the same cup. In other words, when you walked in today, we didn't give men and women different cups. We didn't give Jews and Gentiles different cups. I didn't give rich people a better cup and poor people a worse cup. We all are sharing the same cup today. Same thing. They're all identically difficult. And the bread is the worst piece of bread you will put in your mouth this week. And the juice is just barely enough to cover the palate of your tongue, I promise, just barely enough. But it's all the same. We're all sharing the same. Isn't that beautiful today? This is a beautiful picture. All sharing it together. Can we just thank the Lord for that today? Can we just in a divided, hostile, ugly, nasty world. We got to come into a room today, and if only for an hour, we got to lay down our hostilities. Nobody's fussing up here. Nobody's barking at each other in this room. Nobody's, nobody's angry, agitated. For one hour, we discovered the Prince of Peace, and we worshiped the Prince of Peace. And we became, hopefully, the people of peace. And that's good for me. That's why I need to be in church every Sunday. That's why, if you're watching online, we're grateful that this is a, you know, available to you. We're grateful you've joined us. But if possible, come and be with the people of God soon. So Father in heaven, we are grateful and we are thankful and we're grateful that you're holy, that your spirit is moving among us, knitting our hearts one with another. So Father in heaven in this room today, would you unify us by the power of your spirit? Would you bring us together collectively as the people of God in this room? Father, would you help us to say this week, I was wrong, you were right, please forgive me. And Lord, as we humble ourselves one with another, I pray today you would build the people of God, a family of God in this church. A church that is centered on the goodness of Jesus, the work of your spirit, the love of the Father, the truth of your scriptures, and let that be enough for us because it is enough. So now we just turn our hearts to worship, singing one song, all of us in the room, all of us online, singing one song together as we come to the table of the Lord. Let's sing this song and in just a minute, Pastor Daniel's gonna come and lead us to the table.
audible here because Pastor Brady put Revelation 7 in front of us. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, and people group. I want to invite my brother Peter from Egypt to come up here. Before we eat the meal that Jesus is giving us today, I want my brother to bless this meal in Arabic. And then I'm going to have Eddie. I, Eddie, you're going to pray in Spanish. He grew up as a missionary in Mexico. Before we receive the meal, because the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to look like this. Every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group in different languages gathering around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So can you say amen to that right now? So Peter, come bless this meal as a prayer for unity in your native Arabic. يا رب نشكرك لأنك إله محبة بنشكرك لأنك بتجمعنا كلنا كل يوم حد علشان نبقى عيلة واحدة قدامك يا رب احنا بنصلي ان احنا نبقى متمسكين ببعض في وسط التفرقة اللي بتحصل احنا بنحبك لأنك انت صالح لنا بارك كل حد فينا يا رب في اسم يسوع And all God's people said Stay here, Peter. Dios, estamos aquí en tu presencia. Como tu pueblo, somos tu pueblo. Hijos, hijas, por lo que has hecho tú. Dios, pedimos que esa unidad que vemos en el libro de Gálatas sea lo que veamos aquí en esta iglesia Dios somos tu pueblo, somos tu gente y necesitamos de tu gracia gracias por la sangre de Cristo, por el cuerpo de Cristo porque aquí teniendo esto, esto en nuestras manos vemos como tú eres Dios, tú eres el que nos salva te damos gracias porque somos familia por lo que has hecho tu Dios estamos en tu presencia en el nombre de tu Hijo Jesucristo Amén and on the night Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and you can take that wafer and Jesus broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you and as often as you do this Do this for the remembrance of me. Jesus' body is broken so that the broken world can become his body. <laughs> so that we can become his people. And so you may receive the bread today. And on the night he was betrayed, he took the cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant given in my blood. And it's given for the remission of all your sins Jesus forgives the world in this moment and today friends you are clean you are made new you may receive the cup let's sing our way out of here come on be exalted you are higher let's go
just lift up your voice. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name. Would you open your hands now as we prepare to go? I want to speak the blessing that the ancient priests of Israel would pray over the people as they were leaving the temple. I pray today, may the Lord our God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord our God lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and all of your people and may he grant you peace. And we pray today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, can we give God thanks for what he's done here today? What a beautiful time in the house of the Lord. Our prayer team's coming down. We would love to agree with any of you in prayer. So if you have prayer requests, come join us. If you're new, come see us in Connect Central in the lobby. Go from here today in God's grace and peace. Much love.